So we come back to our uh, Songs of the Saints series today. And as you can see, we're going to be looking at this 37th psalm that we read together. And so this psalm is written also by David, like the previous psalm that we studied together. But this psalm is a song to encourage the righteous who are living under the oppression of the wicked to trust the Lord both to preserve and to bless them and to ultimately deal with the wicked. Now, now later in the psalm, we just read the first 11 verses, but I want to make reference to some of the other passages here in the psalm. But, but later in the psalm, in um, verses 35 and 36, we read this. I have seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. And so David writes this, I've seen the wicked in great power. And of course, we know that that scenario has been repeated over and over and over again historically. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who pastored Westminster Chapel in London during the Second World War, whose church was actually bombed during the Blitz, he publicly applied this verse to Hitler. And the interesting thing is that he applied this verse to Hitler uh, at a time when Hitler's defeat seemed anything but certain. But for him, just this was uh, Hitler's psalm, and particularly uh, verses 35 and 36. But you could actually apply this verse to all history's tyrants, past, present, and future, whether they are dictators over nations or tyrants and bullies within a community or in an employment context or even in the home because there have always been and there always will be evil people who uh, try to gain power over others and oppress them. That is the history of the world from the beginning and, and it will be the case all the way through to the end. But here in this Psalm, David uh, says that that it's a different story uh, with the righteous. The righteous are, of course, the ones who are trusting God, even though they might uh, be at times under oppression. Uh, the oppressor, their time is limited. And even during the oppression, there is the, uh, the presence of the Lord to sustain and to bring his people through. So with the righteous, although the righteous often seem powerless in the face of evil, in the end, the righteous win. And we see that in the 37th verse. The 37th verse here states this, mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace. So all the way through the psalm, David is really contrasting the righteous, and we'll talk about who that is uh, at the end, but he's, con he's contrasting the righteous with the wicked. And in, in this particular case, the wicked oppress 
the righteous. But as we see from Psalm uh, 37, uh, in the end, the, the righteous win. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at David's words written from experience. These Psalms, of course, were born out of David's own experience of uh, being oppressed, but written from experience on how we, the people of God, are to navigate life when the wicked, in whatever form it is, are in power. So this Psalm is going to tell us how to deal with life when the wicked are uh, in power in some way, shape, or form that negatively impacts us. And so let's look at the psalm. Verse 1 says this, and this is the first thing that we are to um, understand, to realize, and, and actually to do in regard to, to oppression. He says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Now, he pretty much repeats this in the seventh verse. So let me read verse seven as well. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to, pa to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, he says, it only causes harm. So the first thing that the righteous are to do is uh, not to fret. And, and the word fret here, it's an interesting word. The Hebrew word, the, the idea behind it really is uh, the idea of, of the kindling of the fires of anger so you burn and become furious. That, that's the idea behind the word. It's translated various ways uh, in the Old Testament, but if you, if you look at all of the different ways it's translated, it, it leaves us with that idea. So it's that, it's that slow burning, that, that sort of kindling of the fire that begins to uh, blaze within us and, and develops into uh, a furiousness over uh, the, the situation. And he says, don't do that. Do not fret because of evildoers. And what does he say? He says, because it only causes harm. And you know, that, that is the reality. Uh, first of all, let's recognize it doesn't change the situation. It, it doesn't help it. It doesn't remedy it. It doesn't get rid of it. Uh, it actually only has a negative impact on us. And so this is what we're not to do. We're not to, we're not to live with this, this inner, um, this burning, this anger that's just waiting to explode out of us any time when we see the wickedness around us or when we experience to some extent or another uh, this kind of, oppressive type of a situation. And, and I think this is very, very relevant for uh, us at this time. Uh, I know many people are, are feeling oppressed and they're feeling oppressed because of what's happening with the, uh, the pandemic. And there's questions as to the validity of 
the protocols and things like that. And I think we would all agree that there, there's some valid measures that have been taken and should be taken. And then there's probably some that you just think, now this is just downright uh, oppressive. And what that can tend to do then is cause us to just begin to burn within with, with this anger. Um, it might be over the, the current situation socially that we find ourselves in and we see a certain group and maybe we think that, you know, that group is oppressive and they're getting away with it and they've always gotten away with it and they're going to get away with it again and we start to fret and we start to become angry over that. And, and in the end, again, this doesn't do anything. It doesn't change the situation. Uh, it, can, it can lead us into sin. It can harm us. And so the big lesson in this 37th Psalm is that there are things that we, the people of God, have to really commit to the Lord and trust him to deal with the situation. There, there are things that are just literally out of our hands. And if we, if we let them uh, have too much power over us, over us uh, they, they will make our lives miserable. They will, in, in some ways, uh, wreck us. And, and so we, we don't want to do that. So, so that's the negative. Do not fret because of the evildoer. Uh, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. So that's the negative. What, what is the positive? So let's walk through. He gives us a list here of a number of positive things that we are to do. And the first one we see in verse three is trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. And you know, during these times these times where we find ourselves under oppressive circumstances or maybe we're subjected to uh, a person who is being oppressive, uh, could be in the workplace. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it, it could be something uh, in the home. Uh, it could be something bigger. It could be something on uh, the scale of uh, what's going on in, in a country with po political leaders. You know, it could be any one of those things. What are we to do during those times? Well, he says that we are to trust in the Lord. And what I was about to say is that these things, uh, they have the power to wreck us or they have the power to uh, make us better and stronger. And the way they make us better and stronger is they drive us to the Lord. And so that's what we're talking about here, trusting in the Lord. It's at times like this that we have an opportunity to to trust in the Lord in a deeper way than we normally would because we realize we don't have any, uh, we don't have any other um, options, really. And so that, that, that pushes us toward the Lord, which is always a good thing, and it cultivates our faith, and it, and it helps us to depend on him more, and that's what it means, to trust in the Lord. But then he adds, trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. Don't fall into the trap of, of letting that rage develop within and those outbursts and slander and those kinds of things that, that can result from this. Or even worse, sometimes people uh, take things into their own hands and try to rectify it and actually only make things better. 
So trust in the Lord and do good. Do the good. Do what you know is right. Do what God has said in his word. Depend on him. Turn things over to him. And just look for the opportunities in the midst of this to continue to do good. You know, I, I just comes to mind. I just think of a, you know, maybe you have experienced this before. I know that I have. Uh, you work in a, in a place and your boss or your immediate overseer or whatever, uh, you know, sometimes people like that, they, they become power hungry and they, they can become very oppressive. And I remember years and years ago, I worked uh, for a company and, and man, the guy, was, the, the guy who was immediately over me, he was so oppressive. And the temptation, of course, when that comes along, I wasn't a Christian at the time, um, so, you know, the temptation I was having at the time <laughs> were things that, uh, I, as a Christian, I could be tempted to do, but I, as a Christian, I knew I couldn't do, um, like, you know, maybe get in a, a little, um, you know, boxing match or something with the person. Uh, but I, I think we've all had those times where there's somebody in our lives who has some sort of authority over us and they abuse it. And the temptation then is to not do good. Uh, the, t the temptation is to retaliate. The temptation is to treat them uh, with the same kind of um, treatment that they're, they're giving to us. Um, the, maybe in the, in the context of the job, the temptation is to not really do faithfully or well what, what we are supposed to do. And so it's the combination of trust in the Lord and, and do good. Continue to do good. Do the right thing. Uh, putting everything in God's hands. And again, sometimes we, we just don't have any power over these kinds of circumstances. And, and that can cause us to be frustrated. That can cause us to... Uh, it, it could actually lead us into sin. And we don't want that uh, to push us in that direction. We want, want to just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you and, and I'm going to do um, the good. I'm going, to, I'm going to do the right thing here. I'm not going to slander. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to leave it in your hands. So trust in the Lord, do good. And then he says this, he says, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Now dwell in the land this is interesting because, you know, David, who experienced this kind of oppression at the hand of Saul and, and those who were aligned with Saul to, to try to destroy David, uh, one of the things that they hoped to do, and one of the things David would have been tempted to do, was to just flee the land. They wanted to drive David out of the land, and he probably wanted to just get away uh, at times. And so here's like a specific word for him here is to dwell in the land. And now he's sharing that because when we find ourselves in these circumstances, um, again, we we're tempted to flee. We're tempted to, I just want to run away from this, or I just want to get away from this. I don't want to be subjected to this. And so we're going to, we're just going to get out. And you know, that's not necessarily the thing God wants us to do. You know, I, I think of all the people, and, and I'm, I'm not criticizing, I just want to use this as an illustration, but I've, I've talked to many people 
uh, of course, we live in the state of California here, uh, and we do have some, I think, oppressive things that are being implemented by our state government, and a lot of people are feeling that in a lot of different ways, and as some of you will know, we're ha having a, an exodus from this state. People are just, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm going here or I'm going to go there because they don't have that crazy taxation there or the, the laws that they're putting into place here. Uh, they're immoral. And, and so there, there is, uh, there is a, a, an exodus from this state. And for some people, that's fine. That's what they should do. It's, it's okay. You can, you can actually leave the state. But in some cases, God would actually say, no, dwell in the land. Stay. Because if all of the righteous evacuate, then how is there any redemption? How is there any possible turning around of the situation? And, you know, I've had people even at times say to me, like, uh, you know, there, there have been some attempts by our state government to bring some oppressive rules into place regarding the church. And, you know, people have even said to me, just out of curiosity, would you ever leave the state? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm a fourth or fifth generation Californian. And so I figured, you know, I, and I've been, my family's been here a long time. Uh, no, we're, we're going to stay. Not only because of that, but more importantly, I'm called here. God called me to be here in this place. So I can't, just, uh, I can't just pack up and leave because I don't like the way things are going. I have uh, a commitment to be faithful to the call of God. And so for some, I, I, I would think that maybe I'm speaking to some of you today as well because perhaps you've had that idea that you're, you're done. You're, you're gonna get out of town. And maybe it's okay for you not, not everybody ha has that calling to stay, but I know I do, and others do as well. But listen to the second thing he says. He says, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And this is the part I love because this is what sustains me in my dwelling in the land. Um, what sustains me is God's, is, it's God's track record. And that's really what we're talking about here. Feed on his faithfulness. I nourish myself on uh, the, the faithfulness of God. I have to walk myself backward and go through uh, that journey of reminding myself of all of the ways that God has come through, of all of the ways that God has blessed and taken care of us and sustained us and brought us through the times of difficulty and struggle. And, and that's, what, that's what feeds me. And that's what strengthens me. And that's what enables me to stick it out and to not run away. And, and that's what David said. And that is undoubtedly what he did himself. He would look back over the faithfulness of God. He would feed himself on that. And we, the people of God today, this is, we are to do the same thing. We are to feed on the faithfulness of God. And, and again, that goes back to trusting him. I'm gonna trust the Lord. And as I've been pointing out many times, um, I don't know, over the last couple years, maybe, just the, 
the reminder to all of us that we're all very intimately and personally connected to the Lord through our relationship with him, through Christ. But, but that means that he's intimately involved in the uh, affairs of our life as well. And so we can't just make a decision on a whim and say, well, I'm going to go do this or that. I, I want to, any decision I make, especially like a life altering decision, like I'm going to leave the state or I'm going to leave the country or something like that. I want to make sure that the Lord is leading me to do that. And so we trust the Lord. We feed on his faithfulness. And then this great, great passage in verse four, a passage that uh, I have you know, committed to memory over the years, a passage that people have uh, prophetically spoken to me at times that has so blessed me. And here it is, that wonderful word, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Wow, what an amazing promise. Think about that. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. God knows what's in our heart. God knows those yearnings. And of course, we, we obviously would understand that the desires of our heart are not speaking just about anything and everything that we want. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. But, but the deepest desires, the good desires, the things that are really there because of that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, um, delight yourself also in the Lord. And he's going to give you those desires. He's going to bring those things to pass in our lives. So think about that for a moment. What, is it, what does it look like to delight ourselves in the Lord? Well, again, we've got to take our eyes off of all the negative stuff and we just need to focus on the Lord and we need to spend time with him and we need to make him uh, the delight of our lives and, and the joy of our lives. And as we just, just sort of once again, maybe in a fresh way for some, we just immerse ourselves once again in the things of God. He is going to give us the desire of our heart. That, that is his promise to us. And so open your Bible again. Take the time. Dive deep into the word of the Lord. Open your, your heart in, in worship to him. Recommit yourself to following him and to serving him. You know, those are, those are good things to do. Delighting ourselves in him. I, I, I want to delight in the Lord in the sense that, you know, I, the things of God are the things that are at the top of my priority list. I want to be engaged in those things. I, I want to be uh, taken up with those things, delighting in the Lord. Part of that is gathering with the people of God. Now, obviously we have limitations today, but nevertheless, we can still make it happen. If we try, we can do it within the confines of where we find ourselves. Um, but I, it's a delight. I want to be with the people of God. I want to be encouraged by the saints, by the servants of the Lord. So those are the kinds of things. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then he goes on, he says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day. 
This is so powerful. Commit your way to the Lord. The idea here, the word commit is actually kind of a phrase in Hebrew, and it means to roll your cares onto the Lord. And of course, the New Testament tells us that as well, right? Uh, I think of the words of Peter, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. That's the, that's the idea here with the word commit. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him. We have that for a second time. But then this promise, he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So, you know, in the situation that David was in, of course, David was being slandered. David was being lied about. He was being pursued. He was being defamed. You know, all of these things were happening with David. And uh, he was righteous, but that was all being veiled under this deception that was revolving around him because of the deceitfulness of his enemies. And again, these things happen in life. These things happen to us. These things have happened to me. And I've had those times in my life where, where people have lied and people have slandered and people have done these things. And, you know, my natural temptation is to fight back. My natural temptation is to justify myself. My natural temptation is to make sure that everybody knows that these people are deceitful liars and so forth. But the Lord says, commit your way to me. Commit your way to me. Roll these problems onto my shoulders and let me carry them for you. And the promise, this beautiful promise that he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. There, there will be a time, in other words, that you will be vindicated. God will vindicate you. You know, I've, I've talked to many women. I'll use women specifically, although there have been occasionally a few men. But I've talked to many who have uh, gone through a, a terrible divorce process where their spouse and oftentimes, again, the husband has slandered them, has lied about them, has basically uh, just brought a completely false picture of who they are. And, and they have, uh, as a result of that, um, their reputation has been marred and they feel that, you know, their whole lives in many ways are, are now being ruined because of, of what this person has done to them. And yet God has promised that he will vindicate. And that's what this verse is talking about. He will vindicate us. Your righteousness is going to come forth as the light your justice as the noonday. So just as the, the brightness of the noonday, what God is saying is he will vindicate. He will make it clear in his time who's righteous and who's not. He will expose the lies. He will expose all of that deceit and slander and all of those things that have uh, brought about the current situation. He will deal with that. Now, when he will deal with that, we don't know. And sometimes it's not in the time frame that we wish that he would. Uh, I remember a season where I went through uh, some of this 
type of stuff. And, you know, you just wondered, Lord, how long is this going to go on? And when are you going to expose what is really happening here? And sometimes you, you just have to wait. But this is where you have to commit it to the Lord. You have to trust him. You have to recognize that, okay, God knows. He knows everything that's going on. He knows the truth about everything. And he knows the time to um, vindicate. So that's part of faith. That's part of, of trusting him. And so we do that. We commit our way to the Lord and then rest in the Lord. And, and so all of these things, as we think about uh, each one that we've looked at, trusting in the Lord, feeding on his faithfulness, uh, delighting ourselves in him, committing our way to him, this leads us then to rest. Last, last time, as we looked at Psalm 27, we, we talked about waiting on the Lord and that posture of just waiting. And, and this is a similar thing, but it adds a, that, just that dimension of, of peace as well because when you're resting in the Lord, you're at peace. When you're resting in the Lord, you, you've come to a place where you have just let go and you're just saying, Lord, I am trusting you to deal with all of these things and therefore I'm going to relax. I'm just going to, I'm going to just fall back into your arms like I'm falling back in an easy chair and I'm just going to take a nap. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to rest here in you. And, and that, I love that picture of resting in the Lord because the alternative picture is I'm striving, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm burning within and I'm trying to vindicate myself and I've got to make sure that this is right and I got to deal with this oppression here and I've got to make sure everybody understands that you know this person really is an evil person and, and all of those things, um, all, all of those things really are the result of not trusting God. But when I trust the Lord, when I just say, Lord, I am here, I'm taking this, Lord, I am putting this in your hands. And I'm trusting that you've got it. You're going to take care of it. You, you've got it covered. And so I'm leaving it with you and I'm going to go rest. I'm going to just go lay down and like I said, I'm just going to take a nap. I mean, it doesn't mean take a nap, but it could. I mean, that's the idea behind it. You're, you're resting. You're, you're no longer striving. You're no longer worried. You're no longer filled with anxiety. Um, you know, th those kinds of things. Because remember, going back to the first point, don't fret, it only causes harm. Um, this, kind of, this kind of fretting that the psalmist is talking about, um, and, you know, it's interesting that he talks about um, it only causes harm. Studies, which they didn't have back in, in David's time, uh, studies in our modern time have shown the effects of stress on the human body and how the, the kind of stress that can come through these types of things and through trying to deal with it just on our own, how that kind of stress can literally uh, harm you physically. It can create all kinds of problems. It can create uh, problems with your immune system. It can create heart problems and hypertension and, uh, you know, all of these things. There, there are so many, today, uh, there are so many things that doctors 
will look at symptoms with people and just conclude that, you know, all of these symptoms are due to stress in your life, pressure in your life. Now, some of the things in our lives we can't get out from under the pressure of, but many things we can get out from them, but we can only get out from under them by putting them in the Lord's hands. And that's what this whole psalm is basically about. Just putting it all in God's hands. And, you know, like we said, feeding on his faithfulness, delighting in him, and all of those wonderful things, and then ultimately resting in the Lord. And, and then as we, as we look at the bigger picture of the psalm, there's promises that he, he makes to us, and we've touched on them um, already, but let me just remind you, the wicked shall be cut down like the grass. See, we have to realize that nobody really gets away with anything, even though it seems like they might. But it's only for the person who doesn't um, understand that God is watching and that God is righteous and that God will judge. If we lose sight of that, then we're going to be really, really frustrated. But we have to remember that the wicked, there is a day of reckoning coming for the wicked. And those who have oppressed and those who have persecuted and those who have uh, in whatever way, shape, or form come against the righteous, they have a day of reckoning that awaits them. God is going to deal with that. And so the wicked shall be cut down like the grass. Remember, he shall give you the desires of your heart as you delight yourself in him. And then he will, as he promised, he will vindicate. He will vindicate in his time. Now, as we close, I want to draw our attention to uh, two other verses that we haven't looked at yet, but verses 23 and 25. And, and listen to this. Well, let me, let me back up. Let me just read verse 16. Verse 16 says, A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. And so again, here's, you know, the righteous sometimes uh, seems to be the one who gets the short end of the stick on everything. The wicked seem to prosper, as we saw here, the, uh, the workers of iniquity. Um, they, you know, the problem is their prosperity. The problem is they never seem to have any problems and all of that. But here is the reminder that um, even if the righteous just have a little, it's better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Verse 17. So th these are promises that we take to heart. But verse 23 is where I wanted us to go. And listen to what it says here. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he or she may fall, they shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds them with his hand. So remember this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Our lives, as we are the people of God, as we are surrendered in our lives to God, our steps are being ordered by the Lord. He's, in other words, he's directing our lives. And so that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? Um, dwell in the land. I can't just get up and 
pack up and head out of the land if God's called me to be here. And I have to remember that he's, he's directing my steps. So my steps have led me to this place and I want to be in the place where the Lord has led me and I don't want to go anywhere that he's not leading me. So, Lord, if you're not leading me, I'm not going. That, that should be the mentality because you order my steps and I want my steps to be ordered by you. And look at this beautiful promise though. Um, speaking of those whose steps are ordered by the Lord, um, even though they stumble, that's the idea. Though they fall, they shall not be utterly cast down. You know, as the people of God, we stumble, don't we? We stumble over this stuff. We, we see the, the wicked and we see that oppression and we stumble. We don't respond in the way that we really should, do we? And we struggle and we wrestle with the feelings and, and attitudes and even things maybe we say. And there's times where you just think, oh man, I, you know, I, I really blew that. Man, I know the Lord told me to just keep my mouth shut. I know the Lord told me, uh, just trust me. Don't say a thing. Don't do anything. And, and I did the opposite. You ever do that? I've done that. And so that's a stumble. I've stumbled. But you know what? The Lord doesn't kick us when we're down and he doesn't leave us down there. He picks us up and he says, okay, yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward. So secondly, listen to this. And this is such a beautiful promise. Verse 25, David says this. I have been young and now am old. And here it is. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor the descendants of the righteous begging for bread. So this is David's observation from life, from the time he was young, and now he's writing this in his older age. And he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And remember, that goes back to the faithfulness of God. Feed on his faithfulness. And, and remember that and think about your own life and think about the lives of people around you. Have you ever seen the righteous forsaken? I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Now, the righteous have struggled. The righteous have gone through difficulties. The righteous have, have gone through the flames, but they've not been forsaken. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm just thinking even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about um, the martyrs back in the early days of the church who were taken and were you know, put to the flame or thrown to the wild beast or whatever, uh, some onlooker might, might think, well, they've been forsaken. But when you hear the stories and the testimonies, the written testimonies that have come down to us in history, you find that, no, they, they were not forsaken. Even in those moments, there was that... Um, in some cases, that sense of God's peace, his presence with them. But even if they felt forsaken, they weren't forsaken. That's, that's the reality. Because the righteous will not be forsaken. David said, I've never seen it, nor his descendants begging bread. And the idea of begging bread is just that the descendants of the righteous and those who trust the Lord will never be destitute. In other words, God is faithful and he'll take care of us. And so let's feed on his faithfulness. 
just nourish yourself on the faithfulness of God. Go into the scriptures themselves. And, you know, part of what the Bible is doing for us is it's reminding us of the faithfulness of God. It's got the history of all of these men and women and we go through their lives and what do we see? We see God is faithful. And then we just can take that right out of the pages of scripture, right into the long history of the church and we can bring it closer to home with the people around us and then, of course, we bring it to our own lives and say, yes, Lord, you've been faithful and I'm feeding on your faithfulness. And so, as we do that, as we trust in the Lord, that brings us to that ability to rest in the Lord and to wait patiently for him. Commit your way to the Lord and wait patiently for him and he will bring it to pass. That's the promise. Now, one final thing as we close. We've been talking about the righteous and the wicked, uh, the good and the bad, the moral, the immoral, what are we talking about here? Who are the righteous and who are the wicked? Well, it's not that we're just talking simply about good people and bad people. Because, of course, the Bible tells us that there are no, those categories don't really exist in one sense. There are not, you know, people who are good people just by nature and compliant, and they do the right thing, and then you got the bad people over here who just always do the, the wrong thing. The Bible puts us all in the category, if you will, of, well, sinners. We're all in the category of sinners. But what's the distinction then? Well, the distinction is that some sinners have recognized their sin and repented by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the righteous are the ones who trust God. The righteous are the ones who have given themselves over to the Lord, where the wicked, on the other hand, are those who have not done so, who have refused to do so, uh, whose life is the evidence that they have never done so. So, so that's the distinction that's being made. And, and as we close, I, I just want to emphasize that Again, it's not about the, the moral versus the immoral or the good versus the bad. These promises, both of the judgment that's coming, the, 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 um, the wicked and great power spreading himself like a native green tree, but being cut down, um, those are for the people that have rejected the Lord, rejected God by rejecting his son, by rejecting the gospel the good news that God sent his son into the world to save us. And the righteous are the ones who have received that. The righteous, on, on one level, there's no difference between the, the wicked and the righteous because we're all in the category of sinners. But the difference comes in with what we do for Jesus. Uh, what we do, excuse me, with Jesus. Uh, do we receive him and receive his righteousness and become righteous through our faith in him or do we reject him and remain in our sin and therefore be categorized with the wicked and we make that decision and so if you have never received christ today uh, and maybe you're a person who maybe you've actually been an oppressor well, that is possible but you know god can forgive that 
and God can wash that away and God can change your heart and he can turn you into a person who uh, no longer oppresses others, but a person who serves and loves uh, others. Maybe you've been oppressed and you didn't know that there was a God who's actually watching all of this and a God who cares for you and um, sympathizes with you in the oppression that you've been in and wants to save you and bring you out from that. Well, if that's you, open your heart to Christ today. In either case, just open your heart and say, Jesus, uh, I need you. I am a sinner and I need you as my savior. Come into my life. And you say that sincerely, you mean that sincerely and he will indeed do that. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great promises in your word. We thank you for these songs of the saints and this beautiful song here, Psalm 37, and the amazing promises that are contained in it. And Lord, may we uh, receive its admonition. May we put into practice the things that um, your servant David penned here. Lord, deliver us from fretting Help us to just cast our cares upon you, to roll these things off onto you and help us ultimately, Lord, uh, to rest in you, to rest and wait patiently. And Lord, help us to delight ourselves in you. And Lord, just to receive those promises, the desires of the heart, those good things that we long for in our relationship with you, you, you promised that you would give them to us as we delighted ourselves in you. So do that for us, we pray, because you're good. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.